morning, everyone. Welcome to Cap City.
done what he has done for us and has saved us is what brings us here today. We want this church to be focused, obsessed with Jesus Christ because God is obsessed with Jesus Christ. Everything that we see in scripture is all about what he has done for us. And so we start with this service today to say that what he has done is King Jesus in our lives. Let's make sure that he reigns supreme over all of us, all the things in our lives today as we sing these words. A thousand generations falling down in worship to sing the song of ages to the Lamb. And all have gone before us, and all who will believe will sing the song of ages to the Lamb. Your name is the highest, your name is the greatest, and your name it stands above them all. Your 
our hands to him right now. Lift them up. There is something so powerful when we lift our hands to our Lord and give ourselves over to him. You know, we lift our hands to a lot of things in this world, but there is only one name that stands above every other name, one supreme name, and he deserves all of the glory and all of our praise. Let's sing this one more time with our hands lifted to him. Well, good morning. If we have not gotten the opportunity to meet yet, my name is Derek Rowley. I'm the new student minister here at Capital City. I would like to welcome you all to our worship service this morning, especially if this is your first time with us. We are exceptionally glad that you are here. We love getting together here. We love being with one another as we worship Jesus, so we are so excited that you've decided to join us this morning. Well, they have asked me to announce a few things that are coming up here in the next month, so I would like to start off by talking to all of you who call yourself dad from time to time. I'm talking to the fathers. We have got a father-kid bowl coming up here uh, on February 10th over at Capital City Bowl. Now, this is going to be a great opportunity for you to hang out with your kids and hang out with your church at the same time, kind of mix those two worlds together. We are going to have a bunch of different lanes open for you to hang out and bowl with your kids and just have a good time. So go ahead and put that on your calendar, February 10th, uh, father-kid bowl. Now, you don't have to be a father necessarily. You could be grandpa, you could be uncle, you could be whoever. But we would love it if you can put that on your calendar so you can hang out with your kids. Now, if your kids are maybe a little bit older and they hang out with me and students on Sunday nights, we've got a few different things coming up for us as well. Next week on February 4th, we will be taking our student ministry out to Winter Jam, which is a big old concert that's in Lexington full of a bunch of different Christian artists. This is going to be a really, really good time. If you are interested in having your kid go with us, uh, go ahead and get them registered. That registration is online on our Capital City website. The second thing that I want to put on everybody's radar is our camp registrations are open. So we have two camps coming this summer. We've got one for middle schoolers and one for high schoolers. That's people coming into middle school and people coming into high school. Uh, and we would love it if your students can join us. Camp is an amazing opportunity for students to grow spiritually. It's an amazing opportunity for them to grow relationally with one another, with their relationship with God, with their leaders, with the church. It is an exceptional opportunity. So we would love it if you can get your kids registered for that. Now, we do also recognize that sometimes those camp registrations can be a little bit expensive, so we want to help supplement that cost, and so we've got a few fundraising opportunities available, the first of which is happening uh, coming up here on February 13th. We have got a church-wide comedy event. We're bringing in a comedian. His name's Brad Stein. It's pretty funny. Uh, and it is a great opportunity for anyone in the church to come and have a little bit of a date night. We will be providing dinner. We will be providing child care for pretty cheap, too. Uh, so it is a great opportunity for you guys to come and just have a good time as well as support the student ministry. 
Now, another thing that I want to talk to you guys about is if this is a place that you have been starting to come recently, you've maybe got a few questions, but you don't quite know the answers to, you want to know why we do things, how we do things, we have got an opportunity for you. Uh, we are starting a class next week called Intro to Cap City, and it's going to be, it's just a four-week class during our 11 o'clock service, and then the same class will also be offered on Wednesday nights uh, during our grow groups. This is a class that basically answers all of those questions of who are we? Why do we do the things that we do? What do we actually believe here? So if you are pretty new to Cap City, you've got these questions, or maybe you're just checking things out and you just kind of want to know more, these are great opportunities for you. So go ahead and get that on your calendar for next week as well. Now, as we mentioned last week, we are starting a new series called Supreme today. Now, how many of you have ever seen a prism like this before? Maybe it was on like a Pink Floyd album or Bill Nye. You know, those are kind of the two sides that you see it on. Well, what, what a prism really does is it refracts the light in a bunch of different weird ways. And I'm sitting here, I'm blinding myself with this thing. It refracts the light in a bunch of different ways. And when one light goes into the side, it comes out in this whole rainbow of colors on the other side. And today we are talking in the next few weeks, we are talking about how Jesus is the light. And when he enters, he refracts in a bunch of different ways. And we're going to be focusing on a lot of those different ways. Not every way, because that would take forever. But a lot of those different ways that we see him. And we're going to be looking at all of those different kinds of ways that we see Jesus. So as we go through this series, we're also going to be focusing on a verse in Colossians. Colossians 1.15, and it says this. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. So keep that in mind as we worship today. I'd like to invite you to please stand as we continue to worship in song.
for Jesus Christ, the one that you sent to this world and you sent to each of our hearts. We celebrate. It's not just something that we do because we have to say those words when they're put up on a screen, Father. Those words are on our hearts. And we can't help but tell the world about what he has done, what he keeps doing. It's not just something that he did one time in our life and saved us. He keeps saving me every day. I am so utterly grateful for a brand new life, a redeemed life, a different life, a changed life. I, I don't want to leave it. I just don't want to leave it in this room. I want this world to know who you are, what you've done. Oh, thank you so much for Jesus. It's his name we pray. Amen. Please have a seat for a moment. We're about to go to the tables and be reminded again of what we're so obsessed with. What we are obsessed with at this place is Jesus Christ. And what he has done for us, we keep saying and singing and talking about. Because that is that pivot point in our lives, the pivot point in history and the pivot point in our lives was Jesus. And we can't help but uh, talk about it. We can't help but sing. We cannot help but pray and thank the Lord for that. One of the ways that we thank our God for this is every time that we gather together as a family, we take communion together. So in a few moments when you stand up, you're going to go to each of these tables that are around this room and you're presented with a variety of things on the table. And the most important part of that is the way that we memorialize Jesus Christ and his death on a cross. We're going to take some juice and some bread. Both of these things are symbols of his body and his blood that were sacrificed for each of us. And when we gather together, it's something that kind of makes us all equal, makes us all the same. Our need for Jesus what brings us together in this family meal. This place is home already and you want to give uh, something, there's a uh, box there called offering. So if you want to give an offering at that point too, you can. And we do another a little strange thing with a white bucket at each of the tables. This generous bucket is if you've got something outside of your offering that you want to give, it goes to people in need in this community, um, not just in this room and to come to this room, but outside uh, these walls of Frankfurt and outside of that even. We want to make sure that we help people who are in need. I want to say one more time as we go to these tables that it's going to e be very easy to lose focus and lose your, the attention that you need to on Jesus. It's very, 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 very challenging about things that you don't like or people that you like around you. But I want you to try to focus as much as you can on what Jesus Christ can do with these moments that you have so that your focus and your attention can be placed where it needs to be to let God do something pretty magnificent if you, if you do. So let's go ahead and stand right now. Let's go to the tables and remember that this is about Jesus Christ and him only. Let's go to the tables.
two things before we get started. I want to go back to one of the announcements that, uh, that Derek made for us, uh, talking about this intro to Cap City. If you are a new member, or if you have been considering membership, if you've been checking us out, that is one of those places that we really want to just encourage you to connect with and be a part of. Uh, we, we don't require that kind of stuff for membership here, but we highly encourage it. It'll be good for you, and it's good for the church. And so if that's something that, that you uh, can be a part of, please be a part of it. One other thing before we get going real deep, we have to start with a definition, okay? We've already used this word several times. You've already heard it a few times, and if we don't define it, we could get way off on what we think it means, okay? And so we want to define this word obsession. Obsession is defined as an idea or a thought that continually preoccupies or intrudes on a person's mind. Obsession has this idea of a singular focus, It looks like building your life around something or someone that your life would revolve around whatever that may be. And it can be a negative thing and it can also be a positive thing. You can be obsessed with something that isn't worthy, right? An obsession of something that doesn't deserve it. And I think we can call that something sick, right? It looks like a a girl who has a crush on a boy And all of us know that no boy actually truly deserves that, right? It doesn't exist. There's no such thing. It's like Doc and the Cowboys. It's not good. It's unhealthy. It's gone too far, right? I think we call it it sick, don't we? But there's an opposite perspective that's just as sick. Sometimes we don't think of it this way. But some things actually deserve to be obsessed over but we don't, and that's just as sick. What if something is worthy, but you aren't obsessed? Like the Longhorns. (laughs) That wasn't a joke. (laughs) That was serious. Maybe not, right? Obsession, it can be right or wrong, depending on the worthiness of your obsession. It can be a bad thing, or obsession could actually be the most appropriate response. All right, let's get into it. There's a guy named Leonard Sweet. He wrote a book called Jesus Manifesto, and in this book he claims that we live in a world right now that has a Jesus deficit disorder. Our culture seems to have an openness to religion and spirituality. In fact, I would argue that even atheism has taken on a religious fanaticism. We're open to religion. We're open to spirituality. We're open even to the pursuit of becoming morally evolved or superior. But Jesus, not as much. It kind of feels like like sometimes we're open to almost anything but Jesus. And I wouldn't even say that just about those who are outside of the church. I think it's also true for many who are inside the church. Sometimes it feels or it seems like we're much more comfortable with the institutions and the programs of church and religion than we are actually having a relationship with Jesus. And it might be because of some of the questions that he asked. Jesus asked questions that were really hard, big questions that kind of become like those lying in the sand type of moments, that once you hear the question, it puts you in a position where there's no going back. You can't pretend that you didn't hear it, and you have to answer it one way or the other, and however you answer it's going to lead wherever you then have to go from there on, right? It's questions like this from Mark chapter 8. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? 
Jesus is hanging out with his disciples. They've been doing ministry together for some time. Jesus asks them what everyone is saying about him. Because everybody's talking about Jesus. What are they saying about him? And so the disciples start to kind of throw out some of the, the theories that have been floating around. And Jesus turns the question back to the disciples. He says, who do you say that I am? And Peter gives what we call the great confession. Peter looks at Jesus and he says, you're the Christ. And what he means by that is you're the Messiah. You're the one. You're the one we've been waiting for. You're the Savior. It's a confession that we continue to use to this day. The reality is we've been confusing who Jesus is ever since. Just as much as the people didn't figure it out then. And we may call Jesus Christ, but but we turn him into our own twisted versions of the Messiah all the time. And there's lots of examples of this, these false versions of Jesus. In fact, you probably have one of these. There's Republican Jesus who's against tax increases and activist judges, and he's for family values and owning firearms. And there's Democrat Jesus who's against Wall Street and Walmart, and he's for reducing our carbon footprint and defending those who can't defend themselves. There's therapist Jesus who helps us cope with life's problems and he heals our past and he tells us how valuable we are and not to be so hard on ourselves. And there's Starbucks Jesus who drinks fair trade coffee and he loves spiritual conversations. He drives a hybrid and he goes to film festivals. (laughs) There's open-minded Jesus who loves everyone all the time, no matter what, except for the people who are not as open-minded as you. And there's Touchdown Jesus who helps athletes run faster and jump higher than non-Christians and he determines the outcomes of Super Bowls. And there's Martyr Jesus. He's a good man who died a cruel death so we can feel sorry for him. There's Gentle Jesus who's meek and mild and he has high cheekbones and flowing hair and he walks around barefoot. He wears a bright blue sash. He looks French. There's Hippie Jesus who teaches everyone to give peace a chance. Imagine a world without religion. He helps us remember that all you need is love. There's yuppie Jesus who encourages us to reach our full potential, to reach for the stars, and God really wants you to have a boat. And there's spirituality Jesus. He hates religion and churches and pastors and priests and doctrine, and he wants us to find the God within and listen to ambiguously spiritual music. And there's platitude Jesus. He's good for Christmas specials and greeting cards and bad sermons and he inspires people to believe in themselves and he lifts us up so we can walk on mountains. There's revolutionary Jesus. He teaches us to rebel against the status quo, to stick it to the man, to dream up impossible utopian schemes and there's guru Jesus. He's wise, inspirational teacher who believes in you. He helps you find your center. There's boyfriend Jesus. This is maybe my favorite. He wraps his arms around us as we sing about his intoxicating love and being held by him. Makes my skin crawl. (laughs) There's good example Jesus who shows you how to help people change the planet and become a better you. And then there's a real Jesus. The son of the living God. He's not just another prophet He's not just another rabbi. He's not just another wonder worker. He was the one that they had been waiting for. He's the one who's in the room right now. The son of David. 
Abraham's chosen seed, the one to deliver us from captivity, Yahweh in the flesh, the one to establish God's reign and rule, the one who came to heal the sick and to give sight to the blind and freedom to the prisoners and proclaimed good news to the poor. The Lamb of God come to take away the sins of the world. He is the one who has healed you. The one who took away your sins. He's the one that we celebrate every week. You see, every generation has had to answer this question, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that Jesus is? We answer this question in lots of different ways. And if we get it wrong, we get everything wrong. It's not the only big question Jesus asks, though. He asks another one. Second biggest question I think he asks is, do you love me? And that's kind of a weird question and a weird story, right? Jesus has risen from the dead. He's cooking fish on the beach. Peter's out in his boat fishing, and he, try, he sees Jesus, so he comes into shore, and they're having breakfast together. Sounds really great. And then Jesus asks him three times, do you love me, which is weird and awkward. I don't like hearing one man ask another man, do you love me? Makes me uncomfortable, right? All of it goes back to this moment that Peter had denied knowing Jesus three different times before Jesus' death. And so there's a connection to why Jesus asks him three times. And this question, do you love me? It's not love according to many of the ways that we would define love. It has to do with this idea of obsession. It's an idea of an unconditional commitment. Now that Jesus is resurrected, he's looking at Peter, and what he's asking him is, are you committed? He's asking him, now are you willing to stand up for me? Now are you unwavering in your devotion to me? Are you obsessed with me? Are you willing to put me above everything else? That's what Jesus means by love, and it's a big question. Notice what, notice what Jesus doesn't ask Peter. He doesn't ask him, are you ready to accept leadership status in my church? He doesn't ask him, do you know how to build a movement? He doesn't ask him, how many people did you lead to me? He doesn't ask him, is leadership your passion? The two biggest questions that Jesus ever asks, who do you say that I am? Do you love me? These questions completely alter everything about the rest of your life. Because when you hear these questions, and it's true regardless of how you answer them, when you decide on how you want to answer these questions, it will completely direct everything in your life from that point forward. Because if he really was who he said he was, then everything is about him. It all starts and ends with Jesus. Everything is about Jesus. And it's not just the biggest questions in life. It's, it's even bigger than that. Everything is about Jesus. It's all about him. And that means that it isn't about you. That might be news for some of you, right? You aren't the center of the universe. Maybe someone's told you that before and you didn't believe them. But it's not just that. You aren't the center of the universe, but you aren't even the center of anything. And this may be the only thing that you need to hear this morning, that it's not about you, it's all about him. 
And it's why we're calling this series Supreme. It's all about Jesus, that he's above all and that he's beyond all, that he's superior to all, that it is literally all about him. But even though he's above all and beyond all and superior to all, he's also for all. He's also a servant of all. He's also the one who gives grace to all. He's beyond us, but he serves us. He's out of reach, but he's accessible. And it's always been that way. It's always been all about him. Jesus didn't become the central figure in history because of his death and resurrection around 2,000 years ago. He was the center point thousands of years before that. Jesus is the center point, but he's not just found in the center. He's also found in the corners and on the edges and literally everywhere else in between. If you're like looking at a circle, he's not just the center of that circle. He's also that circumference, the edges of the circle and all that space in between. Jesus is the obsession of all things. That's a weird statement. Jesus is the obsession of all things. What does that mean? Let me show you. Jesus is the obsession of God. That's a weird statement too. We believe in the Trinity. We believe in the three parts of our one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that they are individual and yet they're united as one. We look at the Father, God. We look at the Son, who is Jesus. We look at the Spirit of the Holy Spirit. And if you look at, if you look at the Father and the Holy Spirit throughout Scripture, man, they're obsessed with Jesus. Talk about him all the time. There's only a few places in the New Testament where God chooses to speak, but when he does, he talks about Jesus, only Jesus, kind of like he's obsessed. In Matthew chapter 3, there's this voice that comes from the heavens as Jesus is baptized, and this voice comes out and says, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Chapters later, much later, there's another story that happens. It's kind of a strange one. We call it the transfiguration. It's really weird. There's a whole lot of stuff going on to it. But this voice booms out of heaven in the midst of that and says the same thing. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And then is added, listen to him. John, who witnessed the transfiguration, didn't witness the baptism. But John, who was a disciple of Jesus and lived with him, followed him around in those years of ministry. Much later in life, he looks back and he's writing about his experiences as he's looking back and he says this. He says, we accept man's testimony. And that's true. We accept man's testimony. Like if, if someone tells you what it is that they've seen, what they've perceived, what they've experienced, we believe those things. And we especially believe it if multiple people can all communicate the same thing, right? Multiple eyewitnesses who can share a testimony. We believe those things. John says we accept man's testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it's the testimony of God. That's one of the most duh statements in the entire Bible, all right? One of the most basic ones, like, okay, okay, John, you're real special here, all right? But he says God's testimony is greater because it's the testimony of God, which he has given about his son. He's given about his son, God himself has testified to who Jesus is. God is obsessed with Jesus. It's not just the Father. It's the Holy Spirit as well. The Holy Spirit reveals Jesus. In fact, Jesus is the primary thing that the Spirit reveals. The Spirit can reveal other things like sin and righteousness and judgment, but all of them are these trails back to Jesus. They all connect back to him. It's all connected to Jesus. 
In John chapter 15, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's talking about the future when he's not going to be with them and they don't get it, they don't understand it. But Jesus makes them this promise. He says, when the counselor comes, the the counselor, the, the spirit, this Holy Spirit, he says, when he comes to you, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth, this This counselor who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. The Spirit's words, his message, his testimony is Jesus. A chapter later, Jesus is still talking to his disciples, same conversation. He goes back to the same concept and he says when he, the Spirit of truth, this counselor that he was talking about when he comes he's going to guide you into all truth he's not going to speak on his own he's going to speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come so what's he going to do he's going to bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you the spirit speaks what he knows and he knows jesus and so he reveals jesus The Holy Spirit comes into your life and he just slowly begins to reveal Jesus. It's his obsession. It's the obsession of the Father. It's the obsession of the Spirit. It's more than that. I can't do it justice. He's not just the obsession of the Father and the Holy Spirit. He's also the obsession of creation. Creation itself is designed to reveal Jesus. Jesus would frequently use metaphors when he was teaching about himself and he often used physical examples from creation to explain who he was. And then the New Testament authors, they, they saw that kind of language and they just kind of ran with it. And so you're going to find this littered all throughout the entire New Testament, this metaphorical, physical language of who Jesus was in comparison to creation. And it's fascinating if you go back to Genesis 1 and read it with Jesus in mind because the New Testament tells us that Jesus is the light. We're told that he's the living water. We're told that Jesus is the sun and the morning star, that Jesus is the vine. Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the lamb of God. Jesus is the model man. We're even told that Jesus is the real Sabbath. You read through the creation account in Genesis and just about every single day you can find a way in which Jesus is metaphorically connected to the creation story. (coughs) Creation itself helps us understand all that Jesus is. But Paul takes it even further than that. He tells us that the entire universe was created by Jesus, through Jesus, and for Jesus. We saw that verse earlier from Colossians 1, verse 15. The very next verse, verse 16, says, For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. That's weird to me, for him. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. By him and for him. Creation is made by Jesus, but it also exists for Jesus. It exists for the purpose to bring glory and praise to Jesus. I mean, what what he's made was by him and through him, but it's also then for him, and it's everywhere. He's not just... He's not just talked about God. He's not just the obsession of creation. It goes even further. And you would expect that I would say he's the obsession of Scripture. But that's like probably New Testament, right? You know, Jesus is the obsession of the Old Testament as well. That time before Jesus. There's this spot in, in the book of Luke, which Luke is in the New Testament. 
But there's this moment after Jesus has risen from the dead. He's now uh, in this kind of miraculous thing, all of a sudden walking down the road with a couple guys. And they're kind of talking about Jesus. And Luke gives us this behind-the-scenes peek to this conversation that he's having with them. And Jesus, or, or Luke records this. It says, Jesus began with Moses and all the prophets. And he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures. And again, they didn't have the New Testament. This means Old Testament concerning himself. In Acts chapter 8, we see something similar from a guy named Philip doing something very, very similar. Jesus showed his disciples all the places that he was present in the Old Testament. That somehow Jesus is this key to unlock a a completely different perspective of the entire biblical story from Genesis to Revelation. He begins laying out all the ways in which this Old Testament was talking about him. There's some incredible things there. Stuff like this. The Old Testament has the story of, of Israel, but it's also kind of the story of Jesus. There's this place in Hosea that looks back at the story of Israel and says this phrase, out of Egypt, I've, I've called you, right? And it sounds like that's about Israel, but then Matthew chapter 2 tells of Jesus and his family escaping uh, to Egypt and then eventually coming back. It's the story of Jesus. In the Old Testament, Israel is in the wilderness for 40 years facing their own kind of disaster and temptations of sorts. And then in Jesus' story in the Gospels, we see him tempted for 40 days in the wilderness. And then if you remember, Jesus is out in this wilderness and he's being tempted by Satan and Jesus begins quoting scripture. Everything that Satan tries to tempt him with, Jesus uses scripture to combat him. Jesus didn't have the New Testament. When we say scripture, we're talking Old Testament. And what Jesus quotes is verses or lines that were teachings from Moses to the people of Israel who were living in the wilderness. There's so many more, so many more. There's stuff like Jonah who's in the belly of the whale for three days, and then we have Jesus who's in the belly of the earth for three days. Jesus just unlocks this new kind of a way to read the Old Testament, and the New Testament writers fell in love with this. They're constantly, consistently quoting the Old Testament, but a not so secret secret about that is, is they're not very good at it. They, they keep quoting Old Testament and, and they like interpret it in ways that no one else had ever interpreted it. It was different. It was unique. People at that time would have called it a weak understanding of the Old Testament. The problem with that thinking, though, is that Jesus is the one who unlocks this perspective for them. Jesus is the one who sits down and teaches them these things. And then they begin looking at the Old Testament through that very specific lens. And they begin looking at the Old Testament with Jesus in mind. And everything starts to look different. Jesus just starts jumping off of every single page. It's like that prism imagery that we're using for this series that Derek talked about earlier. This light beam comes in. But what happens when it comes out the other side looks completely different. That Jesus shines his light into the Old Testament and everything shifts. Everything looks different. It makes sense in a very different way. The Old Testament begins to transform into God's picture book, showing us the wonders of Jesus. There's an old theologian by the name of John Calvin. I don't agree with a lot of the things that he says, but I really like this. He says, we ought to read the scriptures with the express design of finding Christ in them. And that's right on. And it's not just the New Testament, it's the Old Testament. There's another guy, uh, Charles Spurgeon, he says uh, very similarly, he says, every text in scripture, there's a road to the metropolis of the scriptures, that is Christ. 
that Jesus is the center. He's the hub of the scriptures. And it doesn't matter what page you open your Bible to, it's going to point to Jesus in some way. You've, you've heard the phrase, all roads lead to Rome. That's what it is when we open our Bibles, that every scripture, every road is going to lead you back to this metropolis of Jesus. And it doesn't matter what page of your Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, anywhere you look, it all leads back to him. And we can really only know the full meaning of the Old Testament by looking at the end of the story. It's why Genesis needs revelation. It makes more sense. It's why the law of Moses needs the gospels. It makes more sense and so on and so on. Jesus is the obsession of the Old Testament. But he's also, like, obviously the obsession of the New Testament. That would make sense, right? It's where we find his stories. We see the Gospels. Uh, they, they act kind of like a biography of Jesus in some ways. The book of Acts is the biography of the church, which is his body. After his resurrection and departure from this earth, it's, it's his story, right? And so obviously the New Testament is going to be obsessed with him. It's bigger than you realize. If you go back to that guy, Peter, who's on the beach and heard that question, do you love me? Are you obsessed with me? Are you willing to put me above absolutely everything else? The New Testament from that point forward shows us a Peter living a very different life, a very different obsession, and his writing backs it up. There's a guy named Paul who writes most of the New Testament and just like statistically speaking, it's mind-blowing how much he talks about Jesus. And I think that that would be the assumption. You would assume that's that, that that is what he would be writing about, but I think it's way more than you'd expect. When Paul opens his book, it's any of his books that he writes, it's just all Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It starts with Jesus. Colossians chapter one has 29 verses. He references Jesus 30 times. In Ephesians chapter 1, there's 23 verses. He references Jesus 26 times. In Philippians chapter 1, there's 30 verses. He references Jesus 20 times. In Romans chapter 1, in only the first nine verses, he references Jesus 11 times. It's absolutely everywhere. In all of Paul's writings, Doc and I did some probably horrible math. Paul references Jesus probably around a thousand times in the New Testament. It's Jesus. Everywhere you look, Paul is obsessed and consumed with this crucified, risen, reigning Lord. If the heart is occupied with Christ, if you're obsessed with Christ, then Jesus is just going to pour forth from your lips. He's going to pour forth from your pen. He's going to ooze out of every pore. So if God himself Creation, the Bible, they're all obsessed with Jesus. Should I be? Should I be obsessed with Jesus? What if it's true? And what if they're right? What if the writers of the Bible are right? What if creation is right? What if Jesus really is supreme? And not just that he's supreme, not just that he's beyond us, but that he's also good. What if it's true? If it were true, wouldn't it be dumb of us to not be obsessed with him? That if everything revolves around Jesus but you refuse, what does that make you look like? That as part of his creation, what does it look like that I would reject it? 
There's this man, this God, who comes into this world, who brings us truth and grace and hope and direction and understanding. Why would you not be obsessed with him? What if every question that you ask in life, every desire that you may have, every want or every need or every hope, what if everything in your life, everything within your heart would actually somehow lead you back to him? Man, come meet this Jesus. Come meet this Jesus. Or maybe, maybe you just need to bring Jesus back into view. Maybe it's time that you make him kind of that lighthouse for your life, the light that's going to help you view every th- everything through him, that, that prism language that we've used, looking at the world in a very different and better way. Maybe it means it's time for you to give him the right place of centrality and supremacy and sovereignty, that you need to make Jesus the center. But not just the center of your life, the, the fullness of your life. He's also that circumference. He's that space on the edges and everything in between. Reminds me of Colossians chapter three. Paul again is writing to this church and he says, here there's no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. And that's a weird list even for a church like this here. Like you're right, we don't have those things. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us. Those are all just dividing lines. They're just ways in which people found opportunities to separate themselves from one another. Similar things that would exist in this room right now. Paul says that these things don't exist because Christ is all and that he's in all. That Christ is the focus, Christ is the center, Christ is the edges, and Christ is the, spi- the space in between in every single gap. He's, it's all him everywhere. It's all about him. Everything is of him. In the next nine weeks, we get a chance to unpack this Jesus even more. We get to look at him through some new angles with that prism kind of language. We're going to shine this light on him, and it's going to come out in all these different wavelengths. There's going to be color to it. It's going to be beautiful, because no matter how you look at him, it's grand. I want to invite you to be a part of it. Maybe today is an opportunity for you to begin this process. Maybe that looks like a decision uh, to, to begin following him with your life for the first time. Maybe that looks like joining a church and becoming a member, becoming a part of what we're about. Uh, during this next song, I'm gonna be sitting up front right up here. I'd love to have those conversations with you. We have an elder in the prayer room back behind. And even after our service, if you wanna have a conversation, Doc will be back in our connections room uh, as you walk out these rooms in the foyer to your left. He's, he's everything, guys. It's all about him. It's all about him. It's always, always been that way and it's always going to be that way. Why don't you stand? Let's sing.
you're here today and you are struggling with anxiety, you are struggling with depression, if addiction has a hold on you, today is the day you get to let it go. God is obsessed with you. You were brought here today for a purpose. Jesus from the mountains, Jesus in the streets, Jesus in the darkness over every enemy, Jesus for my family, I speak the holy name, Jesus, yeah. Jesus from the so very glad that you're here. Just a couple things I need to let you know before I, I send you out. One is, uh, if you wanted to do the, uh, the, the fundraiser that we're doing, the comedy night, if you want tickets for that, it's going to be in the connections room. All right. Uh, number two, again, if you want to talk to somebody, I'll be hanging out up here. Doc's back in the connections room, an elder in the prayer room. Let's have those conversations. And number three, you are welcome to leave and you're also welcome to stay in worship.
take that battle out into the world.